1,900 years. 1,900 years before it happened. Abraham gets a heads up. He's coming. Jump forward another 900 years to 1,000 years beforehand. Techniques are spoken about, methodologies are spoken about a thousand years in advance before they've even been invented. And great detail is given about the manner in which his life would end, and yet in that same text would never end. 700 years before one of the great spokesmen of the nation is told the circumstances surrounding his birth. And it's going to be a unique birth. He writes, this one will be born of a virgin and yet have no earthly biological father. This major spokesman for the nation goes on to write, many details about the one that's coming, about what his life was like, how he would live it, and what he would do. One of the contemporaries of this major spokesman then writes and says, here is the exact location, this obscure little town outside the main center of the nation in which he will be born in this obscure little town. Finally, one other person in that same era describes the fact that the person will, with his family, need to run to a foreign country as people want to kill him. And so they jump up and they go west and scurry off to spare his life. And finally, 500 years before he came, someone writes the exact amount of money that one of his trusted people would send him down the river for. And all of these people, and a lot of other ones I could talk to about, writing scripture prophetically saying, God has given us a word looking out to the horizon to show us what will happen. God promising in intricate detail what will happen. Never been anything like this in history. Not even close. And all of these people writing upwards of 1,900 years before the event were all searching for the Messiah the Messiah we've been singing about this morning. They're all searching for hope. And this is what we're talking about in this Advent season. As we go through the month of December, we're searching for hope. This is our big theme. And in particular today, we want to talk about searching for the Messiah. You know, in in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Older Testament, And in the Greek languages is the primary language, not the only language, but the primary language of the Newer Testament. Messiah means the anointed 
or chosen one. And so you see all these people, as I've been talking about, beginning in Abraham and Isaac and the different ones, Isaiah rather, um, looking forward and searching for the Messiah, looking and imagining how they would respond to the chosen one, the one that they understood, as they wrote, that would be sent to literally reverse history, that all of mankind, every human being is on this one path, and this history-changing event of the coming of Messiah would open up a new pathway, a new potential roadway that they all could go on to if they chose to, if they chose to receive it, and say everyone's existence can be different from this day forward based on what this one Messiah would do. And that he would come and he would make um, this literal change. The, the scripture actually says they'll become new creations. And so he changes the everyday part of life. It's not just about our eternal destiny, as important as that is, but it's an everyday existence that's changed from the trajectory that it would have been. And I want you to imagine with me a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about this, what it would have been like to have been there when this prophecy was being fulfilled. That Abraham and Isaiah and the different ones looked forward to, and Micah, this prophecy being born. Imagine, even as we were singing there, I was thinking this through again, even though I was ready for this talk. I was thinking this through. Imagine the anticipation and, and try to imagine the excitement in living in that day that the Son of God, Messiah, has finally come. Of hanging there at that time, would I have been one of those that celebrated and gave glory to God over this fact? As we sang that beautiful chorus, I tried to sing very little so I could listen to my wife singing beside me because she's way better than me as we sang Gloria. Um, Because some people didn't celebrate when he came and some people did. Would I have recognized, would I have been one of the ones that recognized the infant Jesus as the Messiah? The one who had and who would fulfill all of these biblical prophecies and is yet to fulfill some of them as he returns. And of course, as I was doing that, there's literally hundreds of prophecies about his life. So I didn't come close to giving you an exhaustive list. I just referenced a few of them in a sort of survey fashion. But I have not only trusted and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but would I have gone one step further and been bold enough to go out and tell others about him? Because some people at that time knew about it, but didn't say anything. But the people we're going to look at today did. And I think the world, even though it, on, from every side, doesn't look like it's interested right now, I think the world, deep down inside, is deeply craving this. If you got them alone over a coffee, I think they would say, yes, I'm deeply craving this. 
And we know the story. Actually, Ralna read part of it to us earlier, and we were singing about it earlier. The shepherds are working. (laughs) They're looking after their flock. It's literally a life and death kind of thing because, you know, if something happens to the flock, you can't just go down to the EI office back then. If something happens to the flock, there's a good chance you're going to die because there's no recourse. And so they're looking after the animals, and, and I've been in this part of the world. It's cold. It's lonely at night. I've done the kind of job where you're up from midnight till 8 in the morning, and you're just at points just struggling to stay awake. So I can sort of imagine a little bit about what the shepherds were going through, a little bit anyway. And when it's your shift, you're just trying to keep your eyes open because you're looking after the flock. And so if you do have your Bible or your device, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read this very familiar passage and then another familiar passage after that. And we're going to talk about it. And you know, as you go through it, even though you've read it perhaps many times or heard it read, Try to put yourself in the text. Try to imagine some of the things that are going on here. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And so Bethlehem, surrounding it, there's just some rolling, gentle, we would call them very gentle hills. And it does look very inviting, at least at night, but it gets kind of cold there at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, when you see angels appearing to people, which happens frequently in Scripture, and of course still happens to this day once in a while, people, in Scripture at least, are always terrified initially, like they're just like, whoa, what's going on? And the angel typically says, it's okay, I'm not here to hurt you, you know, it's all okay. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, statements like this fly in the face of what some people will suggest, that this is just a message for some people, not for everybody, just for some people. Scripture consistently says the invitation of God, the sacrifice of Messiah, is not just for some people. It's for all the people, for the people that would receive it. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests when the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us all about So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured, see, she was a thoughtful individual, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And so they're told to go and see the king to go and see the Messiah. And this is not your typical thing. This is not the thing they'd been told or imagined Messiah would be like because this king, this Messiah had no power, it would appear, as they looked at him. No money, no fanfare, no applause, no breaking news banner on CNN, no Instagram posts with lots of likes piling up. Born literally in a barn, wrapped in spare rags, I'm assuming, surrounded by animals and all the accompany noise and smells and so forth, born to poverty-stricken people. And remember, the shepherds had these responsibilities. It's important to look after the sheep. There are some wild animals around there, not many, but some that would be happy to cart off a sheep or a lamb. There's certainly thieves in that area that you have to be aware of. There's, and I've walked in that area, there's rocky outcroppings and it just comes up on you suddenly, especially at night. And sheep are certainly not the brightest animals in the world, prone to wandering off, prone to wandering off, getting lost, falling in those crevices, breaking legs, breaking their neck, or just wandering off and dying somewhere because there's very little water to access in that area. And so it literally represents a life and death investment to look after these sheep. You don't just walk off and take a half-hour coffee break when you've got to look after the sheep. But as important as all as that was, Messiah was much more important. And so they literally drop everything. I'm sure they had never done something like this in their life. They literally drop everything and they run into Bethlehem, this little hamlet of Bethlehem, and check it out. And and this says something to us about priorities in life. It's not saying be negligent in some way, but it's saying what is really most important in life. And they understood it in an undeniable way, what was most important. And so they go into town, they pay homage to this unlikely king. And the text says, then they go out and they tell everyone in a compelling, first-person, vibrant way, we saw this, experienced this with our own eyes. This is what we saw. We were out in the hills. This happened. We went into town. This happened. And they tell it in a compelling first-person way. And everyone, the text says, everyone was amazed as they recounted what happened. And then they returned to their posts because they're responsible individuals. And they continue to praise God. And their life is very different going forward. How do we respond to the Messiah? By contrast, for many of us, I think it's more of a yawn-like experience. 
How do we respond in the search for Messiah? Next little vignette. You'll see where I'm going. Just come, keep, keep coming with me. John chapter 1. So John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's the fourth biographical sketch, historical biographical sketch of the life of Jesus. John chapter 1. And we're going to see an individual reacting to Jesus in this text. John chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 29 rather than in verse 35, like it says on the screen. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me, a man who was born after me, that's what he's saying. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's making a very profound theological statement there. The eternal Christ. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi. So they would have identified him by his clothing at first. Which means, teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour, so it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that Jesus, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The one that Abraham wrote about 1,900 years ago. The one that's first referenced in Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means when translated, Peter. So the Advent season, this era, this time, this typically four or five week period where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, this, this Advent season from the latter part of November right up to when we celebrate the day of his birth can just be a whirlwind. You know it. It's a whirlwind of emotions and feelings. And depending on a person's situation in life, Christmas can be you know, it just can be the whole spectrum. It can be a very joy-filled, happy time. But for some people, and this can be at the same time as well, it can be a very, very sad time as well. And everything in between. 
And so when I think about myself and my extended family, in my own experience, Christmas uh, season um, is a mixture of joy, but also sadness. Uh, for me personally, and maybe for you, uh, good memories and some really not good memories. And you know, it's likely that there was a time in your life when you didn't know who Jesus was, and God placed someone or a series of someones in your life, and God changed your life because of Messiah. Like John said, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, in verse 29 there. And God changed your life, not, to just, not did he just forgive your sins, but, but he's impacting your life every day. He's, he's empowering you to live for him. He's admonishing you when you need it. He's encouraging you when you need it. He's challenging you and saying, I want you to go and take that hill every day. Not only making a difference in your everyday existence, but your eternal existence. In fact, I was just talking to someone just before the service, and they said, my day is coming soon, and I'm so looking forward to being with Jesus for eternity. So every day, but eternity too. And so God has done this in our life, but he also chooses, and you've often heard me say this, to use us as part of the process. And this is what's going to unfold here in John chapter 1. Andrew has been on a search. And this search is the kind of search that's not a trivial manner. It means setting aside some vocational dreams and hopes. It means literally putting your life on the line because when you subscribe to some of the things I'm about to tell you about, in that time in history, you could die a really horrible death as a result. You could get imprisoned. You could be ostracized by the community. All kinds of things. So you didn't pursue this stuff. You didn't go on this search lightly. And so he's willing to commit all um, to this. And he said, I want a, a, a sort of an entrance port type of relationship with God, but I want a deep, compelling, life-giving, growing relationship with God as well. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm all in. And so one day, and we don't know how, he comes across a guy named John the Baptist. And he sees that John is preparing the way, which is exactly what Scripture says he will do. He's sort of a forerunner of Jesus. And certainly, again, it began back with Abraham 1,900 years before and with Isaiah and Mike and the different ones. But now John is in the immediate context of the coming of Messiah. And he is, the scripture says, the one who will prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. And it's interesting if you read John the Baptist's story. He is the very first one as an unborn child who rejoiced at the coming of Messiah because his mom, Elizabeth, is pregnant with him. And when Mary shares the story of what happened to her when the angel said, you will come to be with child supernaturally, John the Baptist, the scripture says, leapt in the womb and celebrated the coming of Messiah. And so even before his mom could acknowledge it, 
he acknowledged it in the womb. And so here's Andrew, and he's, he's gone all in with John the Baptist, and he's learning at the feet of John the Baptist, and they, they do life together. It's one-on-one in, or in a small group where they're doing life together, and he's serving under John the Baptist. He's what the Bible would call a disciple. But then two days changes his trajectory again because he hears two times John the Baptist say, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on the second day, as Jesus walks by, 30-year-old Jesus walks by, and, and John the Baptist says the same thing. He realizes his search has found the place. His search has found the place. And he steps away from John, and it's always interesting to me that John is never bitter about this at all because he's on mission, and he knows Jesus is the lamb. And so Andrew goes and spends the day with Jesus because John says, look, this is the one I've been telling you about, the one that's come to change it all, the one that's the chosen one, the one that Abraham was looking for 1,900 years ago, and David 1,000 years before that, and Isaiah and Micah and others 700 years before They were all searching for him and looking for him. Now here he is. And so Andrew says, I'm in. And it's interesting to me as I read the text that immediately he spends the day with Jesus up till about four o'clock in the afternoon. And after that, being exposed to the Messiah like this and begins to follow him, he spends that day with Jesus. The first thing he does as the day is wrapping up, what does he do? The very first thing he does after he departs Jesus' company is he finds the person he's close to, perhaps closest to, his brother. And he says, guess what, Simon? I found the Messiah. I found the Lamb of God. You've got to meet him. And he takes Simon, we now call him Peter. He takes Simon Peter to meet Jesus and ultimately Peter becomes one of the most influential followers of Jesus. Sort of the spokesperson for the group wrote some scripture for us. And it's so significant, this relationship, that in verse 42 of John chapter 1, Jesus sees him and says, I know who you are. You are Simon, son of John. Guess what? I'm changing your name. And he changes his name from the Aramaic into the Greek into the name Peter, which literally means the rock. And we, if you chart the life of Peter, he, 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 it's bumpy at points, but you see him grow into this role because the Christian life is not just a one-off thing. Like you've heard me say several times today, it begins and then it's this journey with Jesus every day. And so Jesus journeys with him and develops him, but he says, I want to make a very bold statement about your life, Peter. You are going to be the rock. That's why I'm changing your name. And so Andrew does this, and Peter's life is changed. And it's a dramatic illustration of how God had changed him. And I understand, friends, and I really do. I understand there's lots of stuff going on. 
during the Advent season. You know, maybe you don't have hardly anything going on, but, but a lot of people do. You know, maybe you're having to bake this or go to that function or multiple functions. You need to go uh, and wrap those presents or find those presents. You need to hang those lights. You need to spend time with extended family. And it can be an interesting time. Yet I want to invite you, just real simple invitation. Advent is the perfect time to think of that one person that matters to you, that's outside the family, like a sibling like Peter. And I know, listen, I really know, because of some of my family, it can be tough to talk with family about this stuff. It can be incredibly hard. But I invite you to think of that one person like Andrew. First thing he did was go and tell his brother. Or maybe it's a coworker or neighbor, whatever. But as you go into this season, when you sit down across from them at the table or wherever, and you have a glass of eggnog or coffee or, I don't know, punch or whatever in your hand, and you're talking about Whatever you're talking about, maybe you're watching the football game, maybe you're thinking about the present you just got. I want to invite you to look across the table at that brother or that person. And like Andrew, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer like this. Lord, would you give me an Andrew moment? because I love this person and I long for them to know Jesus. I pray that you would give me an opportunity to share with them. I'm open. I'm available. I would love to see the things that all these Older Testament characters prayed for and looked for and searched for. I'd love to see this truth land in their life. And may the response of the shepherds and the response of Andrew be at the forefront as the most important thing I cling to during this Advent season. Because the search for Messiah is over and he has come.